Well, good morning. This morning we are going to finish up our short series on spiritual gifts. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is a great chapter. It's full of uh, all kinds of wonderful truths. But it's about uh, 31 verses long. We only have about a half hour. So I thought maybe I'd just talk as fast as I can, see how much I could get in. But uh, that probably wouldn't be terribly constructive. It reminds me of a poem I learned in the Philippines. It goes like this. There once was a poet from Mactan whose poetry no one could stand. When told this was so, he said, yes, I know, but I always try to get as many words in the last line as I possibly can. Let's uh, not do that this morning. <laughs> Let's uh, just relax and enjoy this passage and get as far as we get. As I said, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. But before we get into the details of this passage, let me put it into context, into the bigger picture. Now, the bigger picture is about what spiritual gifts are for. You'll notice any time the Scriptures talk about spiritual gifts, it's in the context of us being the body of Christ. Now, when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, thereabout, He had a specific purpose. In fact, He had two specific purposes. The first was to pay for our sins. And He did that once and for all on the cross. That's done. It never needs to be, nor could it ever be repeated. We can't add anything to that. All we can do is gratefully accept it. But His second purpose was to make the Father known and to lead people to the Father. And that second purpose is ongoing. And that's what He wants to use His new body, the body of Christ, us, to do. He wants to use us to make the Father known, to lead people to the Father. His strategy for doing that is brilliant. It's magnificent. See, what He does is He gathers us into churches. Now, the word church simply means gathering, assembly. What our Lord does is he, he takes the members of His body and He gathers us into churches where we love each other. And as we love each other, the world sees what God is like, reflected in, in our love. The world sees that God is love and they're attracted to Him. Then we go out from the gathering into the world into our, our jobs and our families and our neighborhoods, our schools, our, our recreational groups. And we speak the truth in love. We tell people about God and we love them by His power, His strength. And again, they're exposed to God's love and are attracted to Him. See, this is where spiritual gifts come in. You see, as we're scattered, as we're out in the world speaking the truth in love, we have needs created in ourselves. We may be talking to somebody about the Lord, somebody whose views are so different from what we see in Scripture, and we start to get a little confused. Or we're talking to someone, and they either subtly or maybe even blatantly begin to push us away, and we get hurt, we get tired. We find ourselves fearful. 
We find ourselves confused. We we find sins in our lives that that start coming out as we live in the world that that, that begin to distract us. And these sins begin to discourage us. We begin to feel beat up, defeated, confused. Then we come back into the body, into the gathering, and those needs get met. And the way those needs get met it's through the exercise of spiritual gifts as each of us use our gifts to love each other, to build each other up. And as a result, we all begin to grow and are strengthened and the confusion is cleared up. We love each other and we are loved. And again, as we love each other, as we are loved, the world sees. They see what God is like and they're attracted to Him. See, that's our Lord's wonderful plan. To, to at, at, at every point, whether we're gathered together loving each other, or whether we're out in the world speaking the truth and loving the people we're involved with there, at every point, people are exposed to who God is, what God is like, how loving God is. And at every point, they are drawn to Him. At every point, we are challenged. At every point, we are involved in the ministry. We're growing ourselves. We're learning to love. We're learning to speak the truth. That's our Lord's design for His body. The problem is this whole plan can break down. First of all, it breaks down if we fail to go back out into the world. Speak the truth in love. We just keep to ourselves. We, we start to avoid unbelievers. We don't want the, the difficulty, the pain, the struggle that's involved in loving them. And so we try to stay just with believers where we're nice and comfortable. What happens is, is we aren't out in the world telling them about God and, and loving them in His power, so they're not getting exposed to God there. And then... We aren't having the needs created in us that the body was intended to meet. So when we come back together, we don't have those needs. We start getting ingrown. We start being purposeless. As a result, rather than using our gifts to minister to each other, we begin to turn on each other and bicker and fight. See, at no point are people exposed to God, who He is. At no point are they attracted to Him. The other place where it breaks down is when we come together, we don't use our gifts to love each other. We expect somebody else to take care of it all. We just come as, as observers, as an audience, rather than gathering to love each other. People come tired, confused, hurting, maybe even rejoicing, and we do nothing. Or we just expect one or two people to try to meet everybody's needs. The result is we all burn out. We all uh, don't build each other up and therefore we lose our strength to go back out in the world and speak the truth and love. We do go back out in the world because we have families and jobs and neighborhoods, but we go out afraid, worn out, silent. And again, we're not uh, at either point demonstrating who God is by the way we love each other or speaking the truth about Him to a watching world. At no point do people see who God is, and at no point are people attracted to Him. The body of Christ does not fulfill its purpose. 
So as you can see, spiritual gifts are, are critical, are very important in this whole process. Using your spiritual gift is a key to fulfilling our Lord's plan for us, for His body. Let's uh, walk through our passage. I'm going to do a lot of summarizing here, but stick with me. Let me start with the first three verses. Now about spiritual things, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul starts by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things. Now, he uh, realizes that these Corinthian Christians were really confused about spiritual things. So, so he starts very basic. He says, now, you used to be easily led astray. But here's something that can help stabilize you. And he starts to tell them about how uh, the, the difference between the influence of the Spirit of God and any other influence they may experience in their lives. See, and the key is the Lordship of Christ. See, even as Christians, we can be influenced to somehow believe that, that Jesus is accursed, that, 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 that following our Lord is a curse rather than a blessing, that letting Him control our lives, set our priorities and our agendas, is somehow going to ruin our lives. It's going to be a bummer. But the Spirit of God corrects that by leading us to, to be able to say and to live the truth that Jesus is Lord. The way we measure any influence on our lives is whether it moves us toward submission to our Lord's loving headship, whether it pulls us away from that. The Lordship of Christ is the beginning and the end of spiritual gifts. Now look at verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service or ministries, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working or effects, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now notice he, he mentions all three members, persons of the Trinity. See, God is diversity with unity in His very being. So the body of Christ naturally reflects that. We are diverse, but united. And He says that the Spirit gives gifts as He chooses. You don't get to choose your own gift. He chooses it for you. He gives you the one that's right for you, that He wants you to have. We're told the Lord gives us the ministries, the service, the opportunities to use that gift that the Spirit has given us. The Lord gives us those opportunities, gives us those relationships in which we can use our gifts. Again, we don't choose it ourselves. He gives us these. Finally, the Father gives us the effects of our gifts. The workings is the word that's used here. You see, we can't control how people will respond to our love or to our words. All we can do is use the gifts God has given us, or that the Spirit has given us, in the ministries that the Lord has given us, 
and entrust the results to the Father. To every point, God is completely in control. That means we need to, to walk with Him, listen to Him, rely on Him all the way through. It also means that there's no room for pride over what gift we may have or what ministry we may have or how we affect others. God gets the glory. We are, <coughs> excuse me, we are merely the, the grateful recipients of these privileges. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He determines. Let me make several observations here. First of all, notice what He calls the gifts here. He calls them manifestations of the Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, and all Christians do, then He will show Himself as you use your spiritual gifts. He will manifest Himself as you use your gifts. And notice Paul says these manifestations are given to each one. Everyone has a gift. No one's left out. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift to be used to love others. And he says the purpose of these gifts is for the common good. It's not for some individual ego trip. It's not to compete with each other, see who gets the best gift. It's for the common good. Then down in verse 11, he shows us what basis these gifts are given. Gifts are not given on the basis of merit. You don't deserve a better gift or a worse gift. You don't earn a gift at all. A gift is freely given. We're told the Holy Spirit gives them as He determines. He chooses. He doesn't do it because you deserve something. He does it because He is designing something here. He is designing His body and making it all work together. Again, there's no room for pride. There's no room for competition when it comes to the area of spiritual gifts. Now let me uh, go over this list that Paul gives here real briefly. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a thumbnail definition of each of these gifts. He starts with the, the message or the word of wisdom. Wisdom is the skill at applying biblical, godly truth, the solutions to life's problems. You see, there are some people who, who, who can just see what the right thing, the biblical thing to do is, and they can help us understand what the godly, biblical thing to do is. When for us, it may be so hard to figure out. Someone with this gift can just explain it. And we say, ah, that's right. That's what God would have me to do. The gift of knowledge. Knowledge is an exceptional insight. Clear understanding of spiritual truths, of the mysteries in Christ, and the ability to help the rest of us Understand those. Grasp those. 
Gift of faith is the ability to see what God is going to do and then to believe that He will come through and to help the rest of us see that and to believe that God will come through with what He promises. Gift of healings is the ability to bring us physical or psychological health, wholeness, healing. This doesn't necessarily happen all at once. You know, zap, you're cured. This can take a long time. Medicine, counseling. The next gift, miracles. Now that is zap all at once. That is an unusual unleashing of God's power. Doing things that cannot be explained. Seeing things happen that cannot be explained in the normal course of events by normal explanations. The gift of prophecy is the ability to speak the mind of God, to correct when someone is moving in the wrong direction. gift of discernment is the ability to spot the work of a spirit other than God's spirit. To be able to detect when there's something wrong in what someone is saying or doing. Speaking in tongues... Is simply the supernatural ability to speak in a language you never learned. And the interpretation of tongues is the ability to interpret a language that you never learned. Now this list of gifts is not all the gifts there are. It's not exhaustive. These are just some of the gifts that were being exercised in Corinth. And Paul shoots this list out to make his point. His point is that there are all kinds of gifts and they're all different. And each person is different and has different gifts, but it's one and the same Spirit that gives each of these gifts to each one just as He chooses. Now just so you know, let me define a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is not a talent Or an ability. It's not the ability to speak well or to play a musical instrument or or to sing. A spiritual gift isn't a natural talent or a skill. A spiritual gift is an empowerment by the Spirit of God to have a spiritual effect on another person. A spiritual gift is an empowerment by the Spirit of God to have a spiritual effect on another person. Now let me explain that. Let's say I'm really hurting. Now, something's happened in my life and my heart's broken. Somebody comes up and they put their arm around me. Now, that's a loving thing to do. That's a ministry to me. I'll, I'll feel loved. I will feel encouraged. But whereas one person doing that will, will make me feel loved, another person who comes up and does the very same thing but has the gift of mercy or the gift of encouragement, putting their arm around me will somehow open my heart to God's love and God's comfort. It has a spiritual effect on me. See, both people were loving me. Both people were doing something good. They were ministering to me. But one of them has a spiritual effect. In some way, it softens my heart. It opens my heart. It draws my heart in some small or large way toward God. And that's what spiritual life, or what, what, what eternal life is. Spiritual life is knowing God, is intimacy with God. The gifts bring us life. Now, God is a God of order 
and He uses us who we are and how we are. So often our talents and our abilities are vehicles He uses to express our gifts. A skillful teacher, speaker, can have a profound spiritual effect on us. The result of their speaking may open our hearts to God, may may help us understand God in a new way, may, may draw us somehow to God. While another speaker may entertain us, they may educate us, they may keep us hanging on every word, nothing happens to our hearts, to our spirits. Same is true of a, of a musician or, or a singer. One who, who has flawless technical ability may just leave us flat. While another who, who has the same skill or maybe even less skill, somehow through their ministry, our hearts are, are, are drawn to, to rise up and greet our God. A spiritual gift is an empowering by the Spirit of God to have a spiritual effect on another person. See, it brings us life. It, it opens us. It draws us to God. Let's go on with uh, verses 12 through 26. This is a, a long section that I'll read to you, but I think it's pretty clear. It, it, it's, it's easy to understand. Listen as I read. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink, to take inside of us. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. The foot should not say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, there are two primary impediments to using your spiritual gift that Paul describes here. The first has to do with the way you look at yourself. It's inferiority. Feeling like your gifts make you not as good as other people. And the other impediment is the way you look at other people. Superiority. Thinking that your gifts make you better than other people. Now listen first how uh, Paul addresses the inferiority. 
the way you, you look at yourself. He says, that is absurd. The uh, foot shouldn't say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not important, I don't have a role to play. You know, if the whole body was a hand, how would it get around? You may have seen that Adam's family. It doesn't really work that way. <laughs> it needs a foot to carry it. And the, uh, the, the ear can't say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not important. See, if the whole body were this big eyeball, how would it hear? Every part is important. Um, Ron Ritchie, Rod Ritchie's uh, father, was uh, teaching this passage to a group of, of high school students. And what he did was he took a football, he painted the whole thing white, and he painted this big iris on it, and then a pupil in the middle, and put a little red bloodshot on it. It's a big eyeball. Then he wrapped it in a baby blanket. And he took it to the youth group and he told everybody that he had his new baby. And as the kids would come up to look at this baby, he'd pull back the baby blanket and here's this big eyeball staring out at him. And they'd all go, ah! And he made his point. And the point is that it would be gross if the whole body were this big eyeball. See, that's not the way God designed the human body. That's not the way He designed the body of Christ. So He designed the body of Christ with different parts and each part doing its part. In fact, God designs each body, each gathering. And He puts the gifts that He wants in that particular body. And He has put you in a particular body with particular gifts to be used in that body. It is an insult to God to believe that you aren't important. Each one of you are vital. And God has designed the gifts He's given you for us. We are each important. Then uh, Paul deals with the issue of superiority, how we view others. He says, starting verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We all need each other. The problem is that we're all different, and so we don't understand each other. And human beings have an almost inescapable tendency to believe that different is inferior, or somehow bad. You see, we're different from each other. And the result is we begin to, to wonder about each other, to suspect each other. We don't understand how that person feels or how they think because they think differently than we do. And we begin to criticize. We begin to judge. We begin to, 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 to uh, separate from each other. That's exactly the opposite of God's design. Rather than, than separating ourselves and judging and being critical of people because they think differently and feel differently. Let me give you an, an illustration, a cute little illustration Bill Gothard uses. He says, think about a party in which six guests are invited, and each one has a different gift. The host uh, brings out a cake for the dessert, and as they're putting it on the table, it falls on the floor. Immediately, the person with the gift of mercy says, oh, that's okay, it could have happened to anyone. The person with the gift of prophecy who wants to correct the situation says, well, that's what happens when you're not careful. 
person with the gift of service immediately gets up and starts cleaning it up. And the person with the gift of teaching kind of sits back and says, well, you know, the reason that happened was because it was a little bit too heavy on, on one side. He wants people to understand what was going on. The person with the gift of giving says, here, I'll buy you a new cake. The person with the gift of administration says, Joe, you go get to mop. Let's see, Sue and Betty, you start picking that up. And, and Frank, let's go in and start a new dessert. See, each one responds in their own way. And that's good, and that's right. But within a, a few seconds, the person with the gift of mercy and the person with the gift of prophecy are at each other's throats, accusing each other of being too hard or too soft. And the person with the gift of service is wondering why the guy with the gift of teaching is just sitting there when this thing needs to be cleaned up. The person with the gift of giving and the one with the gift of administration are arguing about quick fixes and throwing money to fix all problems. And they, uh, they just get involved in, 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 in challenging and questioning and, and dividing. You see, God's design is that as we accept each other and listen to each other, we all grow. The person with the gift of prophecy can learn to be more sensitive in his responses to others. The person with the gift of mercy can learn tough love when it's needed. The person with the gift of giving can grow in her skill using that gift. See, that's the design. As we accept each other, as we value each other, as we respect each other, listen to each other, especially those that are the most different from us, recognizing how important they genuinely are to the body, even though we may not feel it, even though we may not see it, they are critically important. And treating them that way, as we do this, we all grow. This also helps us understand ourselves better and and how we can use our own energies in the body. Chuck Swindoll uh, has a little story that he found in a school newsletter. Let me read it. It's called A Rabbit on the Swim Team. Once upon a time, <clears throat> the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running and climbing and swimming and flying. To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals took all the subjects. The duck was excellent in swimming, in fact, better than his instructor, but he made only passing grades in flying and was very poor in running. Since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his webbed feet to be badly worn so that he was only average in swimming, but average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about that except for the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he was constantly frustrated in flying class because his teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from the treetop down. He developed Charlie horses from overexertion and only got a C in climbing and a D in running. The eagle was a problem child was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing classes, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but he always insisted in doing it his own way. Now, obviously, the, the point of this story is about being yourself, about, about not trying to be 
being who God made you and ministering as God made you with the gifts He's given you. This doesn't mean that at times we're not called to do something that's beyond us, that we've never tried. We may be called to do something that isn't really us. But out of love, we do that. And it doesn't even mean that when we use our gifts, it'll be easy, that, that, that there won't be a need for commitment and effort, because there will. All it does is points out how, how silly it is for us all to try to be the same or to be like someone that we aren't. See, there, there's one more point that Paul made here that was important for us to grasp. It's easy for us to look at upfront people teachers and leaders, and to think they are the important ones. I appreciate the encouragement I get from people, the the, the responses to to teaching. It's, It's an encouragement to me. But what Paul is saying here is that the upfront people aren't the important ones. That the ones that, 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 that are really important are probably people we don't even recognize as important. But when all is said and done, when our Lord comes back, we will discover, that we'll be surprised by what we discover about who was really important to the working of this body. I think when all is said and done, we will discover that perhaps the, any effectiveness we've had as a ministry is largely due to the, the group of people who meet every Sunday morning and pray for us while we're gathered here. People you don't even know their names. And in the growth groups, we may very well discover that it was that person who came and was in terrible need and allowed the opportunity for the rest of the group to come alongside and to meet their need and to encourage them that was really the important one. Or maybe it was the hostess who quietly served that really was the effective one in in that growth group. Maybe even more than the teachers or the leaders. You see, the upfront gifts are not the ones that are ultimately important. In a a church like this, where the ministry of the Word is appropriately, correctly valued, emphasized, it's all too easy to think that the only gift worth having is teaching. That's just not the case. Now, teaching is an important gift because it's the Word of God that nourishes us and builds us and begins to, to, to transform or renew our minds so that we can be transformed. But Sunday morning preaching or, or even teaching a growth group isn't the only ministry of the Word. Sharing with someone what you've been learning in Scripture as a means to to comfort them over a cup of coffee isn't necessarily teaching. It may be encouragement or or mercy, but it is no less vital a ministry of the Word. Meeting someone's physical, uh, financial needs may not be the gift of teaching, but that act of love may open that person up to God's love like never before. For the first time in their life, they may be able to understand the Scriptures that teach us that God is love. Again, it's not the upfront gifts that are the all-important. God has given you specific gifts that are vital. And it isn't the upfront gifts that we should seek. What we should seek, in fact is what Paul goes on to talk about in the next chapter, 
1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. See, the goal is love. Spiritual gifts are just the God-given tools that we can use to love. We are the body of Christ. He wants to use us to reveal, to demonstrate the Father so that people will be drawn to Him. Using our spiritual gifts is so important to that process. As we come together and love each other, the watching world sees that God is love. And as we go back out into that world and share that love with them, again, they're attracted to the God who is love. That's the way the body should work. That's the way the design is. That through our ministry, our use of our spiritual gifts, people come to the God who is love. Let me uh, just end with one more story. The story I shared uh, Friday night at the intern graduation. It's a uh, story by Jerome. Jerome uh, was one of the, the church fathers. Uh, he knew the Apostle John before the Apostle passed away. And he tells this story about the, the Apostle John. The Apostle John was a very old man by this time. He had, this was after he had been released from his exile on the island of Patmos. He was, he was very old, very frail. He had to be carried to the meetings by other believers. But at every meeting where he attended, out of deference for this apostle, they would always at some point ask him if he would like to say something. And every time he said the exact same thing. He said, little children love each other. One point, a young believer who was slightly irritated by this old man's repetitiveness, he challenged him. He says, why do you always say the same thing? Little children love each other. The old apostle calmly turned to him and he gently said, it is the Lord's command. If only this is done, it is enough. Use your spiritual gifts to love each other. Let's pray. Lord, we worship You. You are the head of Your body. You are the head of this church. Lord, You've given us opportunity. By Your Spirit, You've given us gifts. And You will have a profound effect through us. Lord, uh, forgive us for viewing ourselves as unimportant. Forgive us for questioning how You have gifted us, questioning how uh, You want to use us in this body. Lord, we ask that You use us, that You heal this body so that each part is is operating, that, that, that no organs are shut down, that we all would really begin to love each other, that the world would see that we are Christians by our love for each other, and as a result of that, they would see what You are like. Give us courage and boldness and strength to go out from here and to speak the truth in love in the world, to, to demonstrate Your love, loving them even when it's not accepted even when it's not understood, it's misunderstood. Lord, uh, bring us back together to uh, understand each other, to accept each other, to value each other, even 
when we're so different. And Lord, by this, accomplish your purpose, revealing your Father, drawing people to him. Lord, I uh, just ask that you do this among us. You are our head. You are our leader. We want to follow you. Glorify yourself in this body, we pray. Amen.